Have you had any moments over these last few weeks where you just lose track of time, where you forget what day it is? We all have moments in life like that, don't we, where we think it's one day and then it's actually another, where we think we have time and then, uh uh-oh, we realize that time has us. We all have moments in life like that. And it happens because, as it turns out, we struggle with telling time. Let me show you what I mean from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. Ecclesiastes is a book of poetry, and this is the most well-known part of that poetry. It's the most well-known poem in the whole book. Um, It was made famous by really to all Americans, by the birds in 1965 with their hit song, Turn, Turn, Turn. And right now, if you're watching, I'd love for you just to interact with our feed and let us know that you're here and also a song that really encourages you, maybe your favorite song. Go ahead, let us know. But that song, Turn, 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 is just Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. In fact, basically the only words not in uh, Ecclesiastes are the words, turn, turn, turn. In this poem, it gets to the issue of knowing what time it is. Is it time to stay home or is it time to be out and about? Is it time to keep silent or is it time to speak up? Is it time for action or is it time for patience? See, we all have these rhythms in life and they kind of tell us what time it is. And when our rhythms get thrown off, well, then we struggle with telling time. Today is Palm Sunday, but maybe we don't realize it because our rhythms are thrown off and it just doesn't feel like Palm Sunday. See, if we get stuck in certain rhythms, well, that too can be dangerous. So we'll see. Hear the words of the poet, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. He writes, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Paul would later write to the Ephesians that you must be very careful how you live, to live wisely, not foolishly, knowing the will of God so that you are able to redeem the time, so that you are able to redeem the time. Ecclesiastes is a maddening book to read. Most theologians believe that Solomon wrote this book in his old age after he had reoriented his life back towards God after years of just worldly living. And then he kind of looks back over the course of his life and he comes to this conclusion that living life through just a humanistic uh, lens is utterly meaningless. Vanity of vanities. To try to hold to this humanistic worldview is pointless. It is worthless. And so Solomon goes around and he takes everything that we hold near and dear. And he says, if you just look at this from a humanistic point of view, it's worthless. It's meaningless. There's no value to it at all. He he says money. 
You, you work so hard. You accumulate this money. You leave it to your children as an inheritance. And what are they going to do? They're just going to blow it. He says that job that you work so hard at, that you toil at every day, he says, it's just a burden to you. You're not really accomplishing anything. You're just chasing the wind. He says this knowledge that you're trying to attain, this, this wisdom that you want to acquire, it's worthless. You, you can't figure out what's going on, on on the earth, what's taking place in the world. No one knows. Anybody who thinks they have wisdom, they're just lying to themselves. Solomon says all this in the book of Ecclesiastes, and he is a master with language. He's a master of the Hebrew language, and he writes this poetry with such eloquence and such beauty that he just draws you in. And then sooner or later, he strikes a chord because he hits you right where you're thinking, how you view life. And if you're like me, he strikes chord after chord after chord, and it just leaves you utterly frustrated because you're reading this and you're saying, that's how I think. And so it's an infuriating book to read because he tears apart everything that we think is so valuable, so meaningful. But what Ecclesiastes does do is is it helps transition our thinking from thinking that we can be people of significance, people of value, people of worth, people of meaning, to understanding that meaning really only comes from God. And when we try to live a life of meaning, all we really do is mess things up. We see this all the time in our world, don't we? I mean, just take what's going on right now, for instance. We, we find that uh, today's problems were yesterday's solutions. There's a virus, so we isolate. We isolate, and now we've got an economic problem. We have an economic problem, so we pass a stimulus bill. We pass a stimulus bill, and now we've got a debt problem. As soon as you plug one hole, another leak bursts open. And this is how life goes. As hard as we try, no matter how hard we try, we seem to always find this awful downside to the other end of things. And that's what Ecclesiastes does. That's what Solomon tells us. We plug one hole and there's another leak that bursts open. This is the problem with humanistic living. And Solomon, he offers no real solution. So Ecclesiastes is just this frustrating book. But when Solomon writes this poem in chapter 3, he's making an observation that there are seasons of life. That there are certain rhythms of life, certain times to do certain things. He's not passing moral judgment on any of these activities. He's not passing moral judgment on any of these emotions. He's just saying these are all true in the human condition. That as we experience life, all of these emotions, all of these actions, they all hit us in one way or another. These events are just true to life and we all feel them. There's a time for all of this, and we can't control time. We're learning this again right now, aren't we? That we can't control time. We can't make time speed up, and we can't make time slow down. We we can't say to time, oh, I'm, I'm enjoying this moment right now. Can you just slow down so I can just live in it for a while? And we can't tell time, oh, you need to speed up. I'm ready to be done with this. This is so frustrating. Let's move on. It doesn't seem to work that way. In fact, it seems to work in just the opposite direction, doesn't it? You're enjoying this wonderful moment with your family and friends, and you just want it to last forever. You think, oh, if I could just hold this moment forever. And what happens? Zip. It's gone. 
you're isolated, you're stuck, quarantined at home with this virus. It's been a couple of weeks and it feels like it is dragging on forever and ever. When is it ever going to end? It's like a kid waiting for Christmas. December just drags on and on and on. And then Christmas Day arrives and zip, it's over. That's how life tends to work because we can't control time. That's Solomon's point to this whole poem, that you can't control time. His his thesis of this is found in verse 1 and everything else that he writes about after this, all these different times, it just supports his point that you can't control time, that there's a season for everything under heaven. There's a time for everything, but it is beyond your control. What you can control, though, is you. You can control how you respond, how you react. And the wise person knows how to tell time and act accordingly. Did you notice as Solomon writes through all these different times, there's a time for this and a time for that. He's always giving these two opposing, two two things that are diametrically opposed to each other. Two things that you cannot do at the same time. It would be impossible to do at the same time. You cannot break down while you are building up. You just can't do it at the same time. You can't embrace while you are refraining from embracing. And I know some of you are ready for a hug right now. And you can't mourn while you dance, though some of our dancing may produce some mourning. You just can't do both at the same time. You do one or you do the other, but you don't do both. There's a time to keep and a time to let go. You have to know what time it is. Solomon He tells us that there's a season for everything under heaven. But if we're not careful, we fall into these rhythms of life without being discerning enough to know what season we're in. And so we can get stuck in one perpetual season where this is just the season of life that we live in. In nature, there are seasons. And we see it spring, summer, fall, winter. And we are able to recognize the season because we know what month we're in. We know what the weather is doing outside. And that tells us, well, this is the season that we're in. We we just recognize it. Each season does an important work. Take spring. There's spring. Spring is the starting of something new. It's it's this beginning of new life, the planting of seeds, the the buds that begin to produce. It's it's the start of something new. It's the season of anticipation and excitement. There's a lot of planning that goes into spring because you got to make sure that the ground is just right. You got to till the till the soil, make sure make sure the soil is good. You got to spread the seed. You got to water the ground. You got to prepare all this work. A lot of work goes into spring to make sure that the the harvest will come, that fall will happen. But if you wait too long, if you try to do all that in summer, well, summer's not the time to plant. In fall, well, that's the time to harvest, and you're definitely not planting anything in winter. And this is hard for us because we live in a culture that tells us it's always spring. It's always time for something new. It's always time to be active. It's always time to to be dreaming about what can happen next, what can come in the future. But we have words for things that just keep on growing out of control with no real proper rhythm. We call these things viruses. We call these things cancers. We call them weeds. But we live in a culture that tells us we should always be busy, always making something happen, always doing something new. And so often families, we can embrace this hectic, anxious rhythm of life because we get stuck in this perpetual spring because we don't know how to tell time. 
You see, summer's different. The, the days in summer are long. They're hard. They're, they're exhausting. All that preparation that took place in spring, well, now you've got to make sure that those seeds you planted, that they, that they are going to produce life. But you do this in the heat of the day when it's difficult. And so you spend your time out there watering. You spend your time making sure that the weeds aren't going to choke out your seeds. You, you spend your time adding fertilizer. You spend your time doing the hard work, the necessary work to make sure that there will be a harvest that fall will come. Summer's the time to execute the plan when the days are longest, when it's hottest outside, when the work is tiring and exhausting. But you have to make sure that this new thing you've started, that it will breed new life. And then the harvest comes. Fall is the harvest. And then you get to pick the fruit. You get to taste the sweetness of, of all your hard work. And you get to celebrate. See, in this, it, it's the time when the job is finished. When the work is done, the task has been completed, and you get to celebrate a, t- a job well done. You, you get to remember all that went into it. I mean, this is the time when you tell the stories of, of God's faithfulness, when you gather your friends together and you say, this is what God did, this is how God provided, and now you get to taste it, you get to celebrate, you bring the friends in, you tell the stories. Now's not the time to plant something new. Now's the time to celebrate what's been completed. And then winter. Now, winter does some important work, too. The roots go down deep in winter. The earth is replenished in winter. It kind of catches its breath and it's nourished, getting ready for the spring. And things die in winter. It's a harsh, cold season. It's, it's difficult for us because we want everything just to go on like they've always gone on forever. But it can't. Some things have to die. There's not enough time to do everything. There's not enough space in our life to be able to do everything. You can't do everything. There's a time for this or a time for that, but you can't do it both. Sometimes you have to be able to let go, and that can be cold. That can be harsh. In fact, winter is the season of life where you're able to understand and clearly see an unbeliever, someone who doesn't believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, and someone who does. Because an unbeliever, somebody who doesn't believe, they will often talk about the good old days. And they will be stuck in the past, thinking that their yesterdays were their best days. A believer, someone who loves our Lord Jesus Christ, see, they live with an entirely different mindset. We always believe that our best days are our tomorrows, that each day brings this new optimism, this new excitement, because we are convinced of this, the best is yet to come. We know that if we continue to grab hold of everything we've held on to in the past, that God is not going to be able to do this new work in this next spring, in the future. And so we let go. And Christians are the best at letting go and moving on because we know the best is yet to come. It's not time to start something new in winter. It's not time to make something happen in winter. It's time to rest. It's time to grieve. It's time to let go. It's time to endure. It's time to be nourished. It's time to be strengthened for that next spring that's right around the corner. See, if you've had a good winter, then the soil is ready for spring. And there's going to be a great harvest around the corner. If you've had a bad winter, well, then you're going to have a rough spring. And that harvest, well, it will not produce a whole lot. There are seasons to life. There are proper times for things, proper rhythms for life. Every family has rhythm. 
And if you're stuck in one perpetual season, if you've not thought through your calendar and think, okay, I've got to have time for planning and I've got to have time for hard work and I have to have time to celebrate and I have to have time to, to let go. If you have not thought through that, well, then vanity of vanities, you are chasing the wind. You are living life not the way it's meant to be lived. You're living by the whim of your emotions, by the seat of your pants. You see these seasons of life in the lives of the disciples, don't you? In the springtime, Jesus calls his disciples in and he prepares their hearts. And he says, hey, you got to leave everything you have and come follow me. And he says, I'm going to prepare you. I'm, I'm going to prepare you to be disciple makers so that you can go out and make disciples. I'm going to prepare you to be fishers of men. And so for a year and a half of spring, really, Jesus prepares the hearts of the disciples. He teaches them. He, he, he works the soil of their hearts so they are ready for the work of summer. And then summer comes. And what happens in summer? The hard work begins. The exhausting days begin. Those long, hot days begin because the disciples are sent out two by two. Now they're split up. Now they go. They go to surrounding cities, surrounding areas, and they do the hard work. They're they're to find a person of peace there and to stay at that person's house, to, to entrust their livelihood to this person, that they will provide for them, that they will feed them. And during the days that they go out, And they make disciples. They preach the message of the kingdom. They offer the kingdom to the the city. They do this hard work. And if the people are listening, if the city listens, well, then they keep on going and they invest in it day after day after day. They do this hard work. But if the city does not listen, if they refuse to listen, well, then the disciples, they shake the dust off their feet and they move to the next city. And they work just as hard at the next city because they're going to be sure that there's a harvest that fall. And then fall comes, this time of celebration, the harvest that comes in. And what happens? Those 12 that were sent out, they return back to Jesus. And now there's not 12, there's 72. And it's a time of celebration, a time of rejoicing. They're sharing the stories, how we went out and we cast demons in your name. We did these miracles. And here are these people that we trained up, the people that we impacted, these disciples that we made. It's a time of celebration, a time of telling the stories. And then winter comes. And it's a time of letting go because now the disciples have to let go of the physical presence of Jesus. This this teacher, their, their, their rabbi, their, their savior, the one who's loved them so well, he's leaving. And they have to be able to let go so that God could do the work of winter and there can be a new spring around the corner. And there was a new spring around the corner. The disciples, they're, they're together in Jerusalem. They're all in one place. Peter is preaching. People are hearing the message, repent and believe. And he's working on their hearts. The apostles continue to teach day after day, preparing the hearts of these people that now they can be disciple makers. And then what happens? Summer begins and the hard work of summer starts and they meet day after day after day in the homes of different people. And they have to do the hard work of selling what they have to make sure that every need is provided for. They continue to devote themselves to the apostles teaching, to break bread in their homes, to celebrate communion and then to go out and to impact people. And as they go out and impact people, well, what happens? Summer gives way to fall. There's a harvest that begins. And day after day after day, new disciples are being added. I mean, this is a time where the church is enjoying God's favor in the favor of all the people. It's a time of excitement, a time that the stories are being shared. And then winter comes. 
the church is persecuted. It's time to give up the way they've done things in the past because now the church is forced to leave Jerusalem. It's forced to scatter throughout surrounding areas. They have to let go of the way things were before. But you know what happens? A new spring arises. There's this new spring because now the church is telling the good news to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are hearing this news of, of the kingdom and they're responding. Their hearts are being, are being worked on. And then summer comes. The hard work begins. This new Gentile church must be built up. And Barnabas is there and he's trying to equip these people, but it's too hard a work just for him. So he has to send for Paul. And Paul joins Barnabas and they're working together. They're doing the hard work of making disciples, of teaching them and showing them this is what it looks looks like to follow Jesus. This is how you become a disciple maker. This is what you do. It's long, hard, exhausting work. But then the fall comes. The harvest comes. The Gentile church is booming. People are being added to their numbers. There's Gentile elders that are raised up to now lead the church alongside Barnabas and Paul. It's a time of excitement, a time of joy, a time of celebration. And then what happens? Well, winter comes. Barnabas and Paul, they realize that they now have to let go of this ministry, that they can't stay here. This church that they've worked and they've built and these people they've impacted, they have now have to just let them go to make disciples because they're called to something else. And there's a new spring that happens as the missionaries' journeys take place. And it goes on and on and on. This is the story of the church. This is how it goes. We move from spring to summer to fall to winter if we recognize the times correctly. Unfortunately, we can also point back to periods in church history where the church doesn't tell time so well, where we get stuck in one perpetual season because, as it turns out, we're not always good at telling time. In fact, right now in our culture, in the American church, I believe we're kind of stuck in this perpetual spring, this perpetual time of acquiring knowledge and being prepared and getting excited for the next new thing and always looking for the next new thing, but just stuck in spring, never actually moving to summer, never getting to celebrate the joy of the harvest, never letting things go in the wintertime. One of my prayers is through this difficult season, this time of Isolation, this time of not being able to gather together physically the way that would be most profitable, is that the American church will shift out of this perpetual spring and that we will move into summer. I hope that when all this is over, that, that it is time for the church to, to go out and not look to start impact groups just with other friends from the church building, but that the, but that the church will go out and start groups with unbelieving neighbors, with unbelieving co-worker, co-workers, unbelieving uh, people in the community. I, it's one of my prayers that as we shift into this next season, that we will move to the season of summer, that we will go out. And when we want to start a new ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, youth ministry, children's ministry, all this, that we won't look to our friends in the church building, but we'll look to our neighbors, we'll look to our co-workers, we'll look to the people on our sports teams, we'll look to the world who needs Jesus. It's time to embrace the hard, exhausting, long days of seeing this plan that God has given us to go and make disciples to see it realized. Because if we never shift to summer, we never get to fall, 
We, ne- we never get that time of celebration, that time of harvest. But maybe for you to get there, maybe for you to shift into summer, maybe you got to go through winter first. Maybe it's time for you to be able to let some things go. Let, let go of the institutional church, the high value of the church building. Maybe some program that you've just always loved because it takes place here. Maybe you've got to be able to let go of some stuff so that you can grab hold of the field that God is calling you to, this field of your neighborhood, this field of your work, this field in your community. You see, every family has rhythms. Every family has rhythms. And it's my prayer that in your family that you have this rhythm of planning, that you, you can sit down together and you can plan, hey, this is how we as a family are going to go make disciples. This is what we're going to do to make disciples in our community. Here's how we're going to impact others. Here's the plan. And it's my prayer that you're also able to shift into summer and say, okay, let's do the hard work. Now's the time to roll up our sleeves. This is going to be tough. It might be difficult. There may be some times when we need to shake the dust off our field and go to the next field. But this is what we're going to do. And then I pray that you have those times of harvest where you can look and you can celebrate as a family and say, you know what, we impacted this person. We made a disciple. And now look, they're making disciples. Our fruit is growing on other people's trees. This is so exciting. Look what God has done. Let's tell the stories. Let's celebrate. And then I hope that as a family, you have times of winter where you look back and you say, okay, it's time to let some things go. It's okay for some things to die because there's a new spring right around the corner and God is going to do some new things. You know, I get it. Spring is this exciting time, a time of anticipation, a a time of new things. You, You can't be stuck in fall, you know. If you never do the hard work of summer, if you never do the planning of spring, well, the harvest eventually runs out. You can't be stuck in fall. Nobody wants to be stuck in winter and just letting things go and seeing things die all the time. And summer, that's hard work. That's exhausting work. Nobody wants to be stuck there. Spring's the time that we would choose to get stuck in because it's a time of excitement. It's a time of looking for something new. But we got to shift out of spring. we got to move into summer. We have to do the hard work of ministry so that we can celebrate the harvest of the fall. And so that we can let go and be the optimistic people that God calls us to be because we know that our future is as bright as the promise of it. I hope you develop these rhythms in your family. I hope your your family ministry gets to experience this in life. But if you're not experiencing this, if you have not been through those seasons during the course of your life, well then, you're probably not that good at telling time. Heavenly Father, help us to tell the time well so that in every season we can redeem the time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.